0: Okay, so I tell you guys all the time, you know, I enjoy trail running a little bit, which is funny. Some people were talking to me in between one of the services today, and they were saying, we've been here a while. We remember when you hated the idea of running. I used to talk about this, this in sermons, like, oh, you people who run, you guys are crazy. And now I'm one of you. I'm crazy. And uh, but I, so I've come to enjoy it. And you know, over time, I came to enjoy trail running for a couple of different reasons. One is it's a little easier on the body, but I love the views. I love the views. I love climbing high and seeing things that you previously didn't see. It's a very rewarding experience. When you're running on uh, you know, the, the road or whatever, sometimes you get to see cool things, but a lot of times uh, you're just kind of down below. But when you climb and you get high, you come to a mountaintop or something like that, you get to see the community, you get to see a place, a region, in a way that's different, from a different vantage point than you ever had uh, previously. And hopefully, as we've been going through the book of Romans, uh, hopefully for you, you've been, hopefully God has been dragging you up the mountain. And hopefully you've been seeing the self and what Christ has done to you as a believer in a new and fresh and powerful way and perspective. Hopefully that's been coming within your heart and within uh, your mind. And especially these last few weeks as we've been in Romans chapter 6, because Paul has explained to us a few really Revolutionary concepts and ideas. He's told us at the beginning of Romans 6 that we are united to Jesus. That we're united to Jesus. Now, that's not a word that's all that new or fresh or impressive, probably to a lot of believers. But when you think about the way that Paul described that we're united to Jesus, he said, We are united to Jesus in that when you become a believer, it means that you died with Jesus, you were buried with Jesus. And you rose from the dead with Jesus so that you might walk in newness of life. I think I even asked this, but I will ask it again. Who would like to have their lives described that way? My life feels like I'm living in, I'm walking in a total newness of life. Not just some past tense experience, like it felt very new when on that night I invited Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, but new right now. It's a perpetual newness before God. Who would like to walk in basically resurrection life? Doesn't that sound nice? Okay. I've got no hands here today, but I, that's, a, that's, that's a good thing. Okay? The resurrection life of Jesus. Okay? But, so what he tells us there is you have to know that. You have to know that. To put your mind on it, you've got to know that reality. I am united to Jesus. The second word in Romans 6, you've got to know, number one, the second big word that would sum up the second theme that Paul gives in Romans 6 is the word consider. He says Jesus is dead to sin and alive to God. And if you're a Christian, you've been so united to Jesus that you also are dead to sin and alive to God. So you must consider it to be so. Because when that temptation comes in your life, it doesn't really feel like you're dead to sin and alive to God. So you have to consider it to be so because what God says of you is truer than what you feel of you. And when uh, you wake up in the morning and your heart is not springing up in just uh, responsive joy to pray, but you're feeling sluggish and groggy and tired and you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get this body or this rack of bones to begin to cry out to the living God. You have to consider yourself to be alive to God. Just as Christ is before the Father and they are one and the same and in fellowship with one another, just as that relationship is very alive, so you must also understand and believe. I died with Jesus. I was buried with Jesus. I'm alive to God with Jesus. And so I have to consider myself to be dead to sin and alive to God as a believer. But there's a third word that Paul wants us to know. And it's the word present or yield or give yourself uh, to God. All right. So that's what we're going to look at here in verse 12 to 14. The real thing that's happening here in this little text is that there's a battle that believers are experiencing and the battle is with sin. Okay. So what we're going to learn is how the battle works. And then secondly, we're going to see how the battle's won. How the battle with sin works, you need to know this. You might think you know, but you need to see biblically how it works. And then you need to also understand how the battle is won. So that's all we're going to look at uh, today. So how the battle with sin for a believer works is found in verse 12. So let's read it together. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let not sin therefore reign. Reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let's let's do something here. Let's center our attention on the word reign there in verse 12. Okay, that word is a word that has within it, in the Greek language, the concept of a king having supremacy. All right, so here's here's what Paul is saying: there is something that wants to reign in your believer, in, in the Christian. Wants to reign in your mortal body. And the thing that wants to reign is personified. It's sin personified. So the way to think about it is like this. You just can imagine yourself like a castle or something like that, okay? You can maybe, even, maybe even in your mind you can have a little moat around your castle, like a drawbridge or something like that, okay? And inside that castle there's a throne. That's you, okay? That's you. That is, that is your mortal body, Okay? Not your immortal body, that's coming, okay? You don't have an immortal body yet, which you know some of you when, you're, when your doctor says you're going to need surgery, you discover, okay, it's a mortal body still. The immortal body is coming, but in your mortal body, there is a throne. And there, is, there are two things or people that want to reign on that throne. The, one is God, He wants to sit on that throne. And then the second is personified, and it's sin. Sin wants to sit upon that throne. Sin wants to reign in your mortal body. Okay. Sin wants to get inside that castle and have total dominion and authority. All right? So, so that's, that's a little bit of how the battle is happening. Some of you guys are maybe saying at this point, like, tell me something I don't know. This is like my Monday through Saturday, bro. Like, uh, I understand that thing, that there is a thing called sin that wants authority over my life, and there's this struggle and this battle. But maybe you didn't know this next part. The only way that sin can get that supremacy is through this one avenue. You might remember in the Old Testament, there was this little story where David wanted to defeat Jerusalem. It hadn't belonged to Israel ever before. The Jebusites owned it. They taunted him. And David commanded his men, he says, the first one to go through the water shaft secretly and defeat this city from the inside out, they'll be the ones who I appoint commander over my army. And his nephew Joab went through the water shaft and defeated the Jebusites there in Jerusalem. There is one entrance into your castle. There is one water shaft, one way that sin can get in there and claim progressively sometimes even the throne of your life and of your heart. And it's simply this, notice the end of verse 12, to make you obey its passions. Here's how sin, here's what sin has to do to try to get the throne of your life. It has to take your mortal body's passions and turn them against you. So you imagine your little castle with your little throne, your little moat. Sin is attacking. And the way that sin is trying to work is to take servants of yours who are inside your castle and turn them against you. And the servants that, the, that sin wants to use are just your passions, your passions, the desires of your body. Now, that word passions there in verse 12 is actually a neutral word. In other words, sometimes we speak of passions like biblically, we speak of passions in a negative way. We might substitute the word lusts. Right, that's like we always speak of that in a very negative kind of way, you know. So, like, if you're taking your mom out to brunch or lunch today, and you're sitting there, and you your meal comes, you might say, "I'm hungry." You might say, "I desire to eat this." You might say, "That looks really good." But one thing you'd never say is, "I'm lusting." For this food. Like if you said that, everyone at the table would be like that's gross, that's weird, stop talking like that. That's not a word you're supposed to use in this kind of context, you know, because it just always has this gross, kind of negative kind of concept attached to it. But this word, the word for passions, is neither positive nor negative. It's neutral. And the body has desires that are neutral, that sin wants to take and twist into sin wants to turn those desires against you. So you have hunger, which is part of your mortal body's natural system of desire, and sin wants to take hunger and turn it into gluttony or bulimia or uh, a way to... Comfort yourself in times of difficulty and depression through overeating or something like that. The sin wants to take hunger and take something that could be used for like enjoyment or that was a good meal and its proper place and uh, nourishment and health, and it wants to take it and twist it for sinful uh, kinds of desires. And I think you see how this would work in lots of different uh, concepts. You take the desire of the body to rest, we need rest. God gave us the Sabbath that we might rest and we might have rhythm in our lives. But it's one thing to take rest and then the sinful desires want to take that desire for rest and turn it into sloth or laziness or hours upon hours upon hours of video game playing or something like that. This is what sin wants to do. It's, it wants to take the natural desires of your mortal body and turn them against you so that it can sit on the throne. And I think we probably all obviously all see this in the way that it can take things like a sexual desire. Something that God, the sex, sexual desire is a great servant. It's a horrible master. And so, you know, we see that over and over again, the just simple desires of the Mortal bodies, sin wants to corrupt them and use them to bring us into obedience to it so that it can incrementally take the throne of our hearts. And therefore, when that happens, newness of life, forget it. It might be yours positionally, but it's not yours experientially. And we raised our hands because we said we want to experience newness of life. We want to walk in it. We want to live it, amen, amen. So, you know, he's announcing to us, this is how the war works. Sin wants the throne of your heart, which will take away the newness of life that is yours in Jesus Christ if you belong to him. All right, so that's how a little bit of how it works. How is the war won? How is the war won? Okay, well, that's really 12... 13 and 14, that's what we're going to see together. So I'm going to give you four things from these three verses in how the war is won. And the first thing I want you to see is right there in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. I want you to fixate your attention on the word therefore. Because Paul does not say, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. He says, do not let sin therefore reign in your mortal body. I remember when I was a kid, like growing up, I, w- I think it was in elementary school when the big say no to drugs campaign like went down. You know, I, re- I remember it. You know, I was like third grade, I don't even know what drugs are, but I got like a t-shirt like say no to drugs, you know, like I don't know what drugs are, but when they come around, I will say no to them, you know, and, and like the concept, the big, the big tagline was just say no, just say no. And a lot of Christians, the way that they think that the Bible is communicating is that the Bible is saying, or that God is saying, just say no. But Paul actually doesn't say that. He's saying, because of all that Christ has done for you, because of this great gospel, because of the brokenness of mankind and your, as you place your faith in him and what he did for you on the, on the cross and the wrath of God being satisfied, because of all of that, therefore, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. In other words, you could say it like this. In Paul's mind, in the word of God's mind, there would be no way that this would ever be spoken to someone who's not a believer. When you were an Adam, there was no command. Just stop it. There was no command of don't let sin reign in your mortal body. It just did. It just existed. It just was. When you were shifted from Adam to Christ, and when the gospel came in, and you began to know these things, I've been identified with Jesus, united with Jesus, and you began to consider daily, moment after moment, I know I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God, and you go through that process of reckoning and considering and believing this to be so about you, then, therefore, you'd say, man, I'm going to come to a place where I'm not going to let sin reign in my mortal body. So the the first thing I'd say, number one, about how do you win this battle? Well, that word, therefore, I'd say it like this. You must remember, number one, the gospel sequence. You must remember the gospel sequence. There's a lot of ways to say that. But what I mean is you can't just approach sin like the gospel never happened in your life And like Christ never touched you and changed you, and just say, through my self will and determination, I will overcome. I will just say no. You must understand who you are positionally. You must know that. You must consider it, appropriate it, believe it constantly throughout your life before you can actually do this next thing. There's a therefore. This last Christmas, I gave my kids, uh, we gave our kids this thing called a gravity maze. I say I because there's certain presents that we give to them that it's I wanted one, but I just like really pushed for them getting one so I could have one. And I like like their marble towers and stuff like that. I like building all these things. And it's this little game. It's just a little square playing surface. And then there's these three-dimensional towers that are kind of shaped like that old Tetris game. And these towers, you draw a card, and it tells you which towers to place on the board. And then it tells you other towers that you're supposed to play. And somehow you have to build these towers in a certain way that when you drop the marble at the top, it will go appropriately through all of the pieces and get down into the bottom part of this uh, little maze that has been created. And the only way to get there is by building that tower appropriately, correctly, accurately. Too many Christians are just attempting to say "Notice in," without Appropriately understanding the construct of what Christ has done for them. That is why we are systematically, verse by verse, going through the book of Romans and moving through the Word of God because we want to see the tower that Christ has built so that we could drop the marble in the right spot and have it get all the way down to the point of freedom freedom, okay? So we must, all I'm saying is, we must remember the gospel sequence. And when we do, when we get all that within our minds and hearts, when these truths of Romans 1 through 6 have impacted our lives and our souls and our brains, our minds, we're able to say with Paul, Philippians 2 verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because we say, I've received a great salvation from the Lord, and now I want to live it out. I'm I'm living something that is built on top of something, in other words. So this is important. Because maybe you've heard the phrase, phrases like this, let go and let God. Or you've heard phrases like, I do nothing and God does all. Maybe you've heard phrases like that. And there are moments and little pockets of our Christian life where that is absolutely true, where you must let go and you must let God where you can do nothing and God must do it all. But listen, we are getting to a little section here where God's Word is telling us what to do. And the commands of the Bible are not directed at God. They're directed at us. God doesn't need any commanding. He, he always does the right thing. He's not like reading the Bible going, like, whoa, I need to do this. And none of that happens. He's talking to us. But it's built upon a great foundation, something beautiful that he has done for you and for me. And so we, we must allow God to work through our lives as we obey him in stepping out into this. So the first thing, let, let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body is built upon something. Okay, so number two. Number one, remember the gospel sequence. Remember everything we've studied up to this point. But number two, you must resist surrendering your body to sin. Number two, resist surrendering your body to sin. Notice what he says there in verse 13. Let's read it again. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Okay, so don't take your members and give them over to sin as instruments or weapons for unrighteousness. Now, what does that word members mean there in verse 13? It basically, at the bottom line of it, it means your body parts. Your body parts everything about your body, visible and also invisible, right? So your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet, your sexual organs, all of it. Do not, he says, take those body parts and present them or offer them. It's a word that would be used in the sacrificial system. Don't give them sacrificially to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So as believers, man, we've got to resist surrendering our bodies to sin. When we do, when we feed and entertain and pamper and entice, expose the temptation in sinful kind of ways, when we do all of this, the throne is taken sometimes slowly but surely but the throne is taken and newness of life is not experienced and realized within now this is hard for us for a lot of reasons but well, one reason it's hard for us is because it's very unnatural to us you know when you take someone who's maybe like been incarcerated for 30 40 50 years and then they get their freedom freedom is really weird because they're used to the system they're they're used to incarceration And for us, before we were in Christ, we were in Adam. And all we were was given over to sin. There wasn't like this possibility of freedom from it. But then to get it, it can be an awkward kind of thing. This is who we were and what we were enslaved to. So sometimes it's difficult for us to live otherwise. But we are not to take our members, our body parts, and give them over to sin. Now I understand that a lot of times in the church, uh, the way that we think about this is we maybe think about like the grosser, uh, m- more, uh, maybe we put like levels upon sin. And we maybe think immediately in our minds of like, you know, maybe some things that I'm alluding to today that you're like, well, man I'm so happy I'm not doing, not doing that right now, you know, or something like that. And you're like thinking, well, I'm good to go. But, you know, James tells us something that's very helpful in James chapter 3 he tells us that one of the most unruly body parts that you and I have is the tongue. It's an, it's an untamed beast, he describes. It's a world of iniquity. It sets the world on fire. He says, with the tongue, we curse man who has been made in the likeness of God, and then also we bless God. The very same mouth, we bless God, and we curse man who's been made in the image of God. And that might show us a little bit the degree of uh, interest that God has in getting after the bodies uh, that belong uh, to you and to me. So resist surrendering your body uh, to sin. I'm, uh, we're like in the last, we're in the little home stretch of, of baseball, or excuse me, softball season in, uh, in our household and family. We're in the home stretch, three games to go, it's tiring, you know, it's a lot of time, a lot of energy that you invest in it and everything, and, uh, but, you know, I, I'm like, I, will, I get into it, you know, and in our garage right now, we've got this big net that's set up, and on the ground in the garage, I have like all these pieces of tape that are out there, and I, where you put the T there, and it's like, okay, this is an outside pitch, this is an inside pitch, this is inside high, inside uh, low, outside high, outside low, and this is what your feet should be doing, you know, and I, and I take my girls out there in the garage, and we have these little, you know, hitting, like, clinics, you know, where I'm trying to, like, work on their swings and break it on, down, they love it, they love it, it's so exciting for them, you know, and I'm like, you're going to get a college scholarship, on. Uh, I'm not that kind of dad, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that kind of dad, I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, a, like, I want you guys to, I just want you to have fun, you know, kind of dad, but in my mind, I'm like, it's fun to hit a home run, that's what's fun, so let me show you how to do that, okay, <laughs> so we're out there, and we do this different stuff, and then, like, I'll film it, I'll film it, like, nowadays, there's all this technology, you can just film it, and then play it back in slow motion, and so we'll sit there, and we'll, like, watch it, Cause I'm looking at it live and I'm like, I think you're doing this. I think you're doing that. And then we watch it live and it's like, whoa. What's happening here with your foot right there? What's going on? Oh, I'm sorry, Dad, you know, or whatever. You know, and like and you know, we'd like do all this because I mean it's in every like athletic thing, there's something like this, but I think especially baseball, softball, though you'll hear this quite often when someone really good is going through a slump and then they come out of that slump, a lot of times they'll say, "I, I began I I got something in me that was bad mechanics, poor mechanics. And I corrected the poor mechanics. And now I'm able to succeed again. And a lot of times for a believer, I think, we just need to do a little slow-mo video of our own, kind of dissect a little bit. How am I doing? And what areas of my body am I presenting to sin that might be leading to a little bit of lifelessness, a lack of newness of life? Where might some of those poor mechanics be so that I can cease to present them as uh, instruments of sin and can begin to experience that life uh, once again. I mean, I remember when I first started walking with the Lord, it was just weird. Some of the stuff that I started, you know, music that I never, like I never thought twice about it. Never, I never thought twice about the stuff that was like entering into my mind, that I was just like entertaining. I never thought twice about it. But I started walking with the Lord and it was like these years are going to be for the Lord. I'm not going to give my body as an instrument here of unrighteousness or things that I used to just allow into the eye gate. Things I allow myself to see and to begin to say, you know what, this is actually corrupting me from the inside out. It's giving the throne over. I don't want to let this, I don't want to let this in. It's not legalism. It's just, man, I want this body to belong to God and to be given over to God. But it, was, it's like it can be an awkward experience for us when we first start walking with the Lord, but it's a continual experience. Do not present, he says, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So resist surrendering your body to sin. Number three, though, we then have to relinquish our bodies to God. He goes on to say, verse 13, the middle of it, But instead, basically, present yourselves to God, not to sin, but to God, as those who have been brought from death to life. If this happened to you, if you've been brought from death to life, then act like it. Present yourselves to God and your members or your body parts to God as instruments for righteousness. So we must also, number three, relinquish our bodies to God. Why does God want your body? not that an interesting thing to think about? Why does God want our bodies? I think a lot of times as Christians, we have this like dualistic view of the body. You know, there's the spiritual side of us, and then there's the body, we think. But the reality is that God looks at your body, and he doesn't see like the inside you, and that's what he really cares about, but the body he doesn't care about. He looks at you, and he sees a whole person. And he sees that body, and he says, I even want to redeem that body for my purposes. You see, the reality is the body that we own, Christianity, the Bible teaches us that the body itself is eternal. We saw that the body is mortal, but we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that this body that we now possess, if you're a believer, it's like a seed that when it goes into the ground and dies, it will then rise at the final and great resurrection of the dead with Jesus, and it The seed bears forth the fruit of what's like real and good and wonderful. So right now, it's corruption. One day, it's incorruption. Right now, it can do shameful things, but one day, it will be glorious. Right? So one day, right now, it's natural, but one day, it will be supernatural or spiritual. You know, it will be able to handle the fullness of God's nature and who he is. But the eternal body that you and I will possess, we're not going to float around in heaven like disembodied spirits. The eternal body that you and I will possess has a connection to the body that you are carrying around right now. So God really cares about this body of yours because there is at least an element to it, although it will be purified, that is eternal within the mind and the heart of God. And he looks at your body and he knows and understands that since you are connected to it, tied to it, and can't be untied from it, since you are tied to it, he understands that when you give your mortal body to sinful things and don't give your body to God, he understands that you'll experience total joylessness. You can't experience the fullness of gladness and uh, happiness and wonder that he wants to bring into your life and bring into your mind and bring into your heart. Therefore, we want to, number three, relinquish our bodies to God. We want to give our bodies to God. This is so difficult to do, but this is a constant part of the Christian life, to give our bodies to God. Right now, you know, it's possible right now for you to not be doing that, of course, because you're here physically, but you could also like just only be here physically, right? I mean, we've all had that from time to time, but you can really be engaging yourself in your body and saying, I'm here, I'm here. I'm going to, I mean, this is part of you giving your body to the Lord, isn't it? You're saying, I want to open, I'm using my hands to open up the Bible. I'm using my eyes to fixate my attention upon the words of the Bible. I'm using my mind to think about the concepts of God's word in the Bible. I'm using my mouth to pronounce the praises of God. I'm using my hands perhaps to, to designate to him or say like your life, My life belongs to you. I give my life to you. I love you. I worship you. I adore you. You're giving your body in that kind of way. You fellowship with other believers and you're using your tongue to encourage and uplift. You're using your body for God. And as believers, we want to all the more do that in our lives as we grow and as we walk in him. We want to relinquish our bodies to God. A.W. Tozer, an older author, He wrote a book called That Incredible Christian. And he described in that book, in a certain paragraph, he described a compromise that sometimes enters into our lives. And he called it this. He said, it's a compromise with our heart's holier longings. You see, if I were to say to you, do you want to be a person of powerful prayer? I think we would probably all say, I do. I want that. I long for that what I want to be. Those are the holier longings inside of you. But it's very easy for a compromise to enter in. He goes on to say this. He says, every man is as close to God as he wants to be. He is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wills to be. Yet we must distinguish wanting from wishing. By want, I mean wholehearted desire. Certainly there are many who wish they were holy or victorious or joyful, but are not willing to meet God's conditions to obtain. And what we are having here, what we're studying here, is a conditional promise from God. He's saying, if you will surrender your body to me regularly, if you will present your body parts to me, you watch the newness of life that belongs to you in Christ will be experienced in your life in such a powerful and dynamic and real kind of way. So we want to give our bodies to God, amen? Yeah, I just encourage you, you you just think about as you go through life. You know, sometimes people will ask me like, are you a morning person or are you a night person? And I'm like, I'm, I'm actually neither one. I like sleeping during both. You know, like, I like sleeping at night. I like sleeping in the morning. Like, I am pro-sleep. I am, love it, you know. And when the alarm clock goes off in the morning... For for me, it's been my conviction over the years, and you might not be in a season of life where you can do this, and this might not be your con- conviction. It might be a different part of your life and time and rhythm and all of that. But but my conviction has been that I want to give the first parts of my day to God. I want to pray. I want to be in His Word. And when that alarm clock goes off, I there's uh, there's I mean, it, once every hundred days there might be a day where that alarm clock goes off and it's like, hallelujah, praise Jesus, it is time to pray before the Lord. But most of the time, I'm tired, I'm fatigued. You know, we experience that. But as we go through the process of encouraging one another and saying, let's be people who do this. Let's give ourselves to God. Let's present our bodies to the Lord. As we encourage one another in these things and as we live this out in our lives, we experience such power and joy and strength that comes from the Lord. I would encourage you to do that. Some people wonder. They'll go to church once every two months and, and wonder, why am I not feeling power and vitality and strength and life? Well, you can't get it only from church. But you've got to gather with the ecclesia, the body of Christ, other believers, sing and worship and study. It's not the only thing, but it's part of the thing. And as you do these things, as you have that moment where the still small voice speaks into your ears and you know, you know what, i got to turn off the politics and the news for a little while. I, I just can't listen to that. I'm not going to give my body to that right now at this moment. What I, what I need is I need to hear perhaps the Word of God or I need to open my mouth to God and spend a moment in prayer. As you do elements like that, you are presenting your body parts to God and his power then begins to be released more and more in your life. And he is sitting on the throne rather than sin sitting on the throne. Don't we want this? Don't we long for this? Don't we desire this? All right, now let's close out and look at the final thing. So I've told you, you know, remember the gospel sequence. Resist the temptation to submit your body parts to sin and you know, go through the process of giving your body or relinquishing your body to God uh, more and more. But in verse 14, he says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. All right, so he announces something to us. Sin does not have to have dominion over us. In fact, it doesn't. That's just what he's saying. It doesn't have dominion over believers. Um, because, he says, you're, under, you're not under the law, but you're under grace. What does that mean? Well, when, before we were in Christ, we were under the law. And Paul explained to us in Romans 5 that when we were under the law, uh, sin was produced. I say that because a lot of people think that if we had more restriction and more law, then we would be more godly, that we would be more holy. In other words, we shouldn't be talking like we're talking this morning about like an inward motivation to experience all that Christ has for us embedded in the gospel. That's not the motivation. The motivation should be draw a bunch of lines. So you can't do this, you can't do that, and if you have a bunch of law, then you'll have power over sin. The problem with that view, though, is that it's totally untrue. You look at the history of mankind, and you look at the theological argument of Paul, and what he builds is the case that law actually produces more sin. In other words, the restriction, it does two things. It helps us discover sin because when you're driving down a road and you don't see a speed limit, you don't even know. But then when you see a speed limit sign that says 35 miles an hour and in your heart, you're like, that is way too slow for this road. And you want to go faster. It's doing two things. It's maybe revealing that you're breaking the speed limit, but it's also creating in you secondarily a desire to break the speed limit. And the law helps us see our brokenness, but also creates within us a desire to engage in that brokenness. Right? So the law works in that kind of way. The law actually doesn't doesn't, uh, do a good job of making us righteous. But we're not under law as Christians, we're under grace. We're under grace. This helps us understand that what Paul is saying is that a proper understanding of God's grace will lead us to power. Power. The experience of overcoming the sin that so easily besets us. In other words, he says, you're not under law, but you're under grace. In other words, law does not produce, but grace can produce and that is what you are under and aren't you glad that we are under that when we consider some verses like this which we're not always considering verses like these but when we consider i don't want to present my body parts for sin but i want to present my body parts to god aren't you thankful that we're under god's grace because there will be so many moments where you and i fail at that where we fail to present our body parts to god and we present them to sin I mean, just yesterday we were having this little softball game, and you know, in the middle of the game, I'm like helping out the team and stuff. In the middle of the game, uh, they start handing out all these like envelopes with raffle tickets in them, and the season's like almost over. And we've had a lot of fundraisers, a lot of fundraisers. And as like a parent, you know, I kind of felt like probably a lot of parents feel sometimes. It's like oh, another fundraiser, you know. I like, I just can't hit people up one more time, you know, kind of thing. And I felt that way. And I had a decision. And I'm sad to say that out of my mouth, I could see some of the parents, you know, like, oh, here we go. Another thing I got to go sell, you know, kind of deal. And, uh, and I saw that on some people's faces. And I started making a few like sarcastic remarks about it. I started using my tongue to stir up that like, here we go again. Another fundraiser. I was using my body, uh, I, I was giving it over to sin rather than giving it over to God. Like I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to. I'm not going to stir up people's like venom, you know, inside of them. I don't want to. I don't need to do them that disservice. We can be we can be all right about this, you know, kind of thing. So it's just a minor example, but this is a constant battle in the life of a believer. And so, so we're very thankful for God's grace, is all I'm saying. That his mercies are new, and that his grace is sufficient. We are thankful for that reality. But grace is the constitutional authority that our castle is under. Therefore, we are able, we are able to resist Sin and be and live this experience of being alive to God. Law enslaves and condemns, but grace sets free and liberates. So, this is an immensely practical little set of verses, don't you think? And I think probably for you and for me, this is one of those little sets of verses that is just a lifetime of meditation and consideration. But hopefully for you, verses like these lift you to the mountaintop to think about life from a different perspective. Because I think we can so easily just kind of get caught up in the day-to-day, entertaining, getting through, and all of that, but yet there's this cosmic struggle over our hearts that God is interested in. And he wants the throne rather than sin. So let's progressively give him that throne by his gracious power toward us as we present our bodies more and more so as instruments of righteousness to God. Amen? Amen. All right, Lord, we thank you so much for this power that does belong to us in Christ Jesus. It's pretty incredible to us, Lord. And we think about, Lord, all the times where we had an opportunity to perhaps speak a kind word or share the love of Christ, to sacrificially give, And Lord, we want more and more for these bodies of ours to be used in that way. Not in some kind of weird, legalistic kind of way, Lord, which only produces more unrighteousness, but by your grace. Seeing what you've done for us, remembering that great authority and that great power and that great grace that we are now under where the supply of heaven, the strength of the Spirit, the fullness of the power of God is being released towards us, the sons and daughters of the living God. Father, we pray and ask that you would strengthen us, Lord, mightily, powerfully, beautifully, to walk this out and to live this, Lord, more and more within our lives and daily experience. Help us, Lord. These bodies that that war is existing over, we pray, Lord, that they belong to you. We consecrate them, Lord, set them apart for you today afresh so we thank you father and we ask for this great victory lord to be won, that we might walk in and experience the beautiful newness of life that is ours in jesus christ we thank you father we praise you we rejoice in you in jesus name we pray together amen amen Sure.